Okay, there are problems with every form of government. We know that. We're human, we're made in God's image, but we're free to sin and raise Cain. <laughs> See what he did there? We could say this about marriage, uh, parenthood, private property, that they're all good things in principle, but often are corrupted in practice. Then can't we say that democracy is basically Christian because it emphasizes the dignity of man and done well, uh, its citizens thrive and done poorly, it's a corruption that hurts us all. Yeah, so uh, we can say that and this is in fact what supporters of democracy say, but let's not rush too fast. Let's postpone the question of Christian democracy, which is, of course, there are Christian democratic parties that were formed in the middle of the 20th century. Okay. At this point, let's just take note of a simple fact that there are two forms of government and only two that are praised in the Old Testament, and neither of them are at all democratic. Okay. First, there's this. the tribal hierarchy of the, the, of the children of Israel right. wandering from Egypt to the Promised Land. It's a pyramid of power based on household heads, the senior men in the clan and the tribe. Okay. You know, the ruler, the hundred, the ruler of ten households, the head of a hundred households, etc. And... Um, yeah, Moses got some of that, too. I mean, it was yeah. explained to him. He said, you can't handle it all yourself. That's right. You're going to have to start delegating yeah. exactly. some of the, the power so exactly. that we get a better uh, influence. <laughs> this is what uh, what his brother Aaron says. You just can't. No, 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 no. It's his father-in-law. Ah, father-in-law. His father-in-law, who's a non-Jew. Okay, so anthropologists might call it something like a segmentary society. Okay. Uh, secondly, the monarchy of David and Solomon okay. uh, is also praised. Now, it's... It's the second best, you know, so uh, uh, the pr uh, prophet Samuel warns uh, the Jews against choosing Saul as their king because right. there are going to be some disadvantages. But when it once established, it's very clear that the Davidic uh, monarchy is a divine, uh, divinely instituted government. Okay. And David is among the two or three exemplary leaders in the Old Testament, sure. nearly perfect. Unfortunately, adultery and murder somewhat tarnish his record for perfection. Yeah. Now, and then this is becomes equated uh, with the Roman Empire. For the New Testament, we don't talk much about formal government because there's no need to. The Roman Empire ruled everything. Okay. There is a strong, strong emphasis on obedience. The our Lord's. A recommendation: Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Sure, I remember uh, when that. when they try to test him into saying, "Is he going to be a tax rebel?" Right. Paul's ad, uh, admonition in Romans thirteen that not in vain does the ruler, in this case, we're talking about the Roman emperor and his deputies, hold the sword. In other right. words, the sword to defend the people in war, to okay. attack the barbarians, and to execute criminals. Peter tells us in his first epistle, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. And by the way, that's a poor translation, I think, in the authorized version. Mm. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. Okay. And I'll, I'll read the whole passage. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Hmm. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Right. That is, the Gentiles who make fun of you because they say, you're a Jew, you don't, uh, you don't uh, respect government, 
Mm-hmm. You are uh, you, you don't you, you don't serve in the army, or you're you, you're a new sect of Jews. You Christians, you're just anarchists. So right. As free and not losing your using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, Ooh. but as the servants, actually, it should be slaves of God. Right. On and then here, honor all men. Right. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, note, king here is a literal but misleading translation of the Greek word basileus. Basileus is a king, but until much later, the Greeks used this word to mean the Roman emperor. So, and who was the Roman emperor at this point? The lovely, very nice, gentle Nero. You, uh, wasn't he a tyrant? The early parts of his rule were quite good because he relied on his advisors, but eventually Nero was certainly not only in general uh, a pretty poor ruler and a rotten human being, yeah. bisexual, com- committed every kind of outrage, but also when he got in trouble and there was a big fire in Rome and people suspected that he would burn down Rome because he wanted to go on a massive uh, rebuilding program. Now this is certainly not, it's very unlikely to be true, okay. but the rumor was, that, you know how people are. Sure. So he said, no, no, it's not me. No. Oh no, it's those Christians. They hate mankind. Ah. And so because they hate mankind, so he, he lit up his garden party. He would pour like the equivalent of turpentine or pitch okay. and use Christians as torches to light up his party. Uh, now, even Peter, before he went to Rome, must have heard rumors about the rotten character of the emperor who would eventually order his death. I had heard um, that uh, Nero, in, in some facets, was considered the Antichrist, that he was that, that guy. And um, I didn't understand that because uh, coming from uh, evangelicals, we figure that thing is to come. Uh, here's this nasty man yeah. that's going to show up. But um, that it, the way Peter wrote there, it, it, it appeared that he may have figured that Nero was the Antichrist. And yet we're still supposed to obey because, because the rulers, the, the, the structure of the Roman Empire is put there for our good and not for our harm. Well, obviously, it's it's keeping law and order, and we are required uh, by Scripture to uh, stay within the boundaries of law and order. But that doesn't say much about endorsing a political system. Uh, That's right. In the That's New right. Testament, at least. And in fact, I think one of the great problems made in all periods of Christianity, from the time of the apostles down to the present, there has been this problem of you, of equating yeah. uh, the Christian moral and social vision with whatever is the ruling system at the time. So if you're talking about in a 16th, 17th century European monarchy, well, kings have divine power. They're put there by God. It's it's immoral to contradict them. When Cromwell sets up a Republican Commonwealth, this is the rule of the saints as envisioned by by uh, by God through the prophets and everything that thank God we've killed that tyrannical king mm-hmm. and now we can shut down the theaters no more baseball games no more fun on Sunday hmm. everybody can walk around looking miserable and under Puritan rule <laughs> okay. because because our system is created in response to divine command. It's ordained by God. How many times have you listened to some 4th of July oratory or a or a parson in the pulpit talking about democracy as the divinely ordained mm. system that is meant to transform the world? <laughs> now this is heresy. This is genuine because 
the, the point is that Christians can live in any society, including the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, and, uh, and, and uh, Red China. Okay. It, there are ways in which you can live and even thrive, or even in an Islamic tyranny oh. where to preach Christianity is a death sentence. It okay, yeah. then you don't do that. Mm. I mean, the poor Greeks and uh, Serbs and Albanians lived under this kind of domination for many centuries. Mm -hmm. So the big thing for Christians interested in politics is to give up this idea that there is one system ordained by scripture and by the Holy Ghost right. that this is the political system we have to live in. Hmm. They're all susceptible of great evil and democracy as much as monarchy. Okay. So there is a, a more meaningful way maybe to look at this. Okay. In the New Testament we discovered that there are qualifications for leadership in within the Christian community. Okay, in we're, other words, we're talking here. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about church organization. Okay. For example, Rex, tell us the, the church you go to. How, you, have, you have leaders, you have, you have pastors, yes, you, have, right. you have administrators. How are they chosen? Well, they're chosen um, by the pastor usually comes and says, okay, here are some guys that are worthy. They are, uh, they're good dads and, and sometimes moms. Excuse me, are these, these women are allowed to speak in church? In the church? <laughs> yes, I thought Paul, Paul, explicitly tell, I guess you go to a church that doesn't accept Paul as well, uh, Equality is uh, <laughs> the new term that we use. Um, but um, they are not prone to getting drunk, uh, at least publicly. Um, they are a, a good man. That's, yeah. that's kind of a, the good, moral, upstanding man. Proved himself by being in the church for a couple of years, something like that. So, and the pastor knows him and has had, uh, you know, yeah. counsel with him. So that's kind of the way the elders are picked. It's a semi-Calvinist system of organization. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody kind of votes on that guy, but it's already kind of, yeah. if, you, that, if the pastor brings him up and the other guys are, you know, how this many, guy's cool. How many times in your experience has people said, Pastor, you're full of it. We're not picking this guy. <laughs> well, um, that usually happens in the... In the <laughs> As you you're know, about to get rid of the pastor. Well, no. in the gleaning process where the pastor's yeah. like, well, I think you know, Tom's a really good yeah. guy and we should get him. And I said, oh man, he shoots he, his mouth off. I was over at the bar the other night and he got <laughs> hammered and it was a bad deal. Yeah. They started punching people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we need to reconsider. How did you hear about that? Yeah, well, <laughs> it was in all the papers actually. So in the New Testament, there are qualifications for leadership. Agreed. Wealth and social position are not to be important, though we know perfectly well they have to be. Probably. So, for example, if you want a church treasurer to handle your money, are you going to handle? Are you going to give it to a guy who's never given a dime, or are you going to give it to somebody who is giving like a couple of grand a year or more? Right. Yeah, you want we, somebody to be responsible. Yeah. He has to have some ability. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. The episcopoi, the overseers, a word that comes to mean bishops, and the diaconess, a word which means the servants, who probably the deacons probably handed out uh, handed out charity and they they administered. We 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 know from Saint Ignatius that they they probably are administering the the bread and wine of communion. Right. They're to have been married only once. Okay. Uh, which probably means a they haven't been divorced and remarried, but probably. It's very likely this also excludes uh, people who have been widowed 
and then uh, and then married because it shows that they can't control their sexual appetite. Oh boy. Um, good fathers and husbands who keep their people, their own family, in line. There you this go. is very important uh, in Paul. He says, you know, you've got to if 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 a if a, man, if a father can't keep his wife and children in line, then how could he possibly be uh, if, serving? If it doesn't them? work at home. Don't right. export it. I got it. Sober and just with their dealings. In other words, we're talking about a moral aristocracy. Okay. The uh, idea of a divorced pastor, and uh, which I hear of in some denominations, yes. probably even a remarried widower as a pastor, is anathema to Paul. And hmm. basically, throughout the, wherever there's been a married clergy, right. uh, like in the Eastern Church and sometimes in the Western Church, wherever there's a married clergy, there are very strict rules about, about their marital life. Now, I'm not saying at this point that democracy is inherently unchristian or okay. anti-Christian, right. though uh, there are uh, circumstances which I'm happy to say that, only that democracy is not enjoined, recommended, or even praised either in scripture or in the early church or, or in the first 1500 years of I Christianity. See. Okay, so that brings us to where? So, what sort of equality or democracy do we have here in post-Christian America? Is it ruled by all the people, ruled by the lower classes, or uh, is it uh, a kind of just a fiction, you know, a fig leaf to cover uh, an uglier reality? Well, the system we now have, as I understand it, is two parties of a small group of people that will do almost anything to stay in power. A government that is so huge, uh, many people are getting away with really terrible crimes. Also, uh, these people make millions of dollars for the most part and don't really represent me to the point that I feel I have a voice. I think that... Any one of these people who take any kind of money from corporations and special interest groups for any reason should be considered treasonous. That's what I think. And uh, put on military trial and hanged if found guilty. You know, there's no consequences. So all these guys are making millions of dollars. They're not really speaking for me particularly. And um, I feel sort of helpless. I have these, these people above me and uh, I'm frustrated about that. Look at one of the uh, techniques of uh, of democracy and of the the uh, idea of equality ever since the 1860s you pick on a particular group of people who are uh, unsuccessful outsiders okay illegal aliens right uh, black people women minority uh, groups non-christians okay and uh, the leaders of the government or of a political party will champion them yeah. Okay, celebrate them. In other words, in the name of equality, then they come to you and they say, uh, Mr. Scott, you're going to have to double your level of taxation. Mm. You're going to have to take money from your wife and children to give it to somebody. But he'd say, well, wait a minute, I don't know those people. I don't know that they're any better than I am. I don't know that they'll make... That is too bad. And by the way, they're going to have advantages when their children want to go to college, when they want a college scholarship, mm -hmm. when they're looking for a job. We're going to privilege the other, the outsider, the unequal person. Hmm. Now, who really gets the privilege? For example, in the, in the welfare state, 55% roughly of the welfare state money goes to black Americans. Okay. Do black Americans have tremendous amount of political power in America? No, they got nothing. No, no, they got really. loud mouths like Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton. They got a few members of Congress. They got, they got a president who, who ignored them during eight years. Yeah. But the point is that in their name, 
yeah. in the name of the equality, of racial equality, right. or in the name of religious equality or sexual equality, government takes more and more of our money. It mm -hmm. takes a larger share of the pie, assumes more and more power. Right. So that very, very wealthy and powerful people who had, tend to be government contractors, people who build the airplanes, people who take the money from these contractors, in the name of equalizing and leveling the playing field, mm -hmm. they get uh, they get it all. And we now live in a country where the, the gap between rich and poor, and by the way, you count as poor, in the gap between rich and poor yeah. is widening every day. Sure. You have less and less, and it's, it's not the poor illegal Mexican alien who's getting ahead. It's not the transgender. It's not the, it's not the inner city black. Mm. It is the political class. Right. You got a small oligarchy of people uh, ruling us their way. Yeah, exactly. So the reality is, Rex, yes. as, as you were saying, we have a small oligarchy of wealth mm -hmm. that rules in the name of the people. Yes. That's the result of our system of direct election. That is, one man, one vote. Okay. The Athenians were a lot smarter than we are. Their Democrats knew that elections are almost always rigged by the rich and powerful, and that's why they put in, if they wanted to be democratic, they, they pulled names out of a hat hmm. because that's much harder to rig. Oh, we can take that up in future episodes, but in the meantime, the best approach to politics, I think, mm -hmm. is first of all, is this political leader going to put any money back in my pocket so that I can help my own family? In other words, yeah. re-empower households and communities as opposed to empowering corporations in the name of equality. Amen, brother. And secondly, there's that lovely bumper sticker from the 70s, which is, I have followed in almost every election but the last one. Mm. Don't vote. It only encourages them. Well, I have one more thing to say. It's a quote from somebody that you might recognize. Listen to this. A nation can survive its fools, and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself, for the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face and their arguments. He appeals to their baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to fear. The traitor is the plague. What great American said that? Well, he's one of the greatest of Americans because he inspired people like John Adams. We're talking about Marcus Tullius Cicero, about the uh, one of the many conspiracies that afflicted Rome. And by the way, for everyone who's listening, sign up now for the Fleming Foundation Summer School on Cicero. Thank you for, for bringing in the plug. <laughs>